each and every one of you are here today. Um, We're going to continue in our study of the Gospel of Luke. Um, We're in Luke chapter 12, beginning Luke chapter 12 uh, this morning. And we've been just working our way straight through the book. So uh, one of the reasons we preach straight through books is because that way no one can say, hey, um, you know, the person preaching today was, you know, intentionally going after me or trying to pick on me or um, something to that effect. It forces us to deal with difficult passages and with difficult subjects. Um, it doesn't allow us just to, you know, skip over and just take the easy things or the things that we want to hear, the all want to hear. But it forces us to deal with the full counsel of the Word of God and with um, spiritual reality um, in our lives. And so we have to deal with the whole teaching of Jesus Christ. If we just take part of it. And, you know, kind of pretend that the other part doesn't exist, then we end up misrepresenting, misunderstanding Jesus and misrepresenting Jesus. Um, And that certainly isn't our goal um, as a church. We want to know him fully as he is um, and be taught by him, understanding that we are in the position of learners. Uh, Even those of us who teach the word are, are to always be in the position of learning from Jesus. Jesus is, you know, our true teacher, our true teacher. And so uh, let's pray, and then we'll just get right into the passage this morning in Luke chapter 12. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege this morning to look into your word. Um, We thank you for the privilege to worship you um, through song, through prayer, uh, to bow at your feet, God. Please help us to do that this morning. Please help us to bow our hearts um, before you that we would come under your authority. We would seek your authority in every area of our lives, dear God. Lord, when we don't want that, please change our hearts so that we would want that. Lord, we recognize we can only even begin to want that once we've come to believe in you, Jesus, that you are our Savior and our King, that you died for us and that you rose again, that you paid the full price for our sins on the cross. And so, Jesus, as we looked into your word this morning, we ask that you would instruct us and instruct us through your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that this place would be filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and that only what you once said would be said. Now in this message and in our open time, Lord, and we just ask you for these things, and please bless our children upstairs and help them to know you from a young age, we pray. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen. All right, Um, so let's get into the very beginning here. Last week, Michael um, preached the last half of Luke chapter 11, and we saw there that Jesus gave a very difficult message to the Pharisees and to the religious lawyers. Now, you know, so these were the people who were the religious authorities and, you know, the time of Jesus, and they viewed themselves very highly as people who had it all together and were right, you know, before God, and you know, there are people today who can still have this kind of mentality about themselves. It's kind of a, they view themselves in, in this way of having it all together and having, you know, all the 
the, the right answers and the right life and all of these things, but yet their hearts can be far from God. Um, and so, you know, you may have heard that message last week and gone, well, um, good thing I'm not a Pharisee or, you know, a, a religious scribe and, you know, so, you know, that stuff doesn't really apply to me and, you know, I'm good to go. Well, Jesus um, is going to have this for us because it says at the end of Luke chapter 11 and verse 53, as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. So again, you might be thinking, well, not one of those, I'm good. Well, chapter 12, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. We'll stop there for a moment. And again, you know, he he has that subject again at the beginning of it, the Pharisees, but he's saying, you know, be warned not to be corrupted by them. He talks about their their leaven or their their yeast. You know, if you put a, you you have a, a, a lump of flour and everything, and you put some yeast in it, and what happens? That, that yeast, just a little bit of it, will permeate its way through you know, the entire loaf and will cause, you know, cause the whole thing to rise up, right? And so it's going to affect you know, what it touches. And so he's saying, you know, be very careful here because the way that these religious people, you know, what they teach and, and how they live and in their hypocrisy, they can affect you and then cause you to either live in a similar hypocrisy or to rebel against that hypocrisy and in the process rebel against the ways of God. There's a different ways that that can play out. And we see this even today where there's many people who say, well, you know, religious people are hypocrites and so I don't want to have anything to do with that. So they end up throwing Jesus away as long as, as well as, you know, the religious stuff. But in the process of that, they threw away what they needed most, which is Jesus himself. Others just follow that example and say, well, that's what it means to, to know God. So as long as I look good on the outside, I can put on my Sunday best and I can show up. And, you know, we might have been yelling at one another in the car on the way over in our family. But as long as my kids sit there quietly during the meeting it's all good, and, you know, here we go. And so that's what can happen uh, to us. And so we need to be very careful not to be affected by religious hypocrisy. Because he says this here, and this is really important for us to understand, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Jesus says you need to live an authentic life because ultimately nothing will be hidden. There is nothing that is truly private. There is nothing truly secret because God sees it all and he will expose it all. You know, this is why many people don't want to come to Jesus in the first place. John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 
So many people don't want to come to God in the first place because they know they're in darkness. They know they enjoy doing the things that are wrong. They want to keep on doing those things. They want to protect those. They know if they come to God, those things are going to be exposed and they're going to have to change. And they don't want to change. And so they'd rather stay in darkness. But don't be fooled. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, there is also nothing in our lives that is ultimately hidden. God sees it all, and he's going to expose it all at some point in time. You know, I remember being a kid and and just hearing the words, you know, be sure your sin will find you out. You know, when you're a kid and you're doing some things that are wrong, you think you're really smart and that you got a way to get, you know, get away with it. But, you know, what happens the majority of the time, you know, it was it was so obvious and so silly. You know, the parents, you know, see right through it and go, well, yeah, you, you said you cleaned your room. But if I look here underneath your bed, I can see you just shoved everything. You know, it's, it's, you know, we do things, but we, we kind of do the same thing, though, with God. We think that our sins are not seen because no other person saw them. No other person saw the the evil thoughts of the heart or, you know, of the mind and the the contemplation of evil. And so, hey, we still have our reputation intact. But Jesus says here, hey, you think that's hidden? It's not hidden. It's not. He sees it all. God sees it all. And we have to deal with that Reality. Already in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 19, Jesus said, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to the light. But the wonderful thing is, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have this opportunity for that, the coming of the light not to be forced. But we can bring our sinfulness, we can bring our errors, our, our mistakes of all various types, And we can bring them to Jesus. We can bring our shortcomings to him and have him expose them so that they can be dealt with here and now so that we can be more like Jesus. But the reality is that that process involves being uncomfortable. And that process involves pain. And that process deals with the reality that we are not who we should be And therefore, we tend to kick that can down the street. We'll deal with that later. But understand this, that at some point, it's going to have to be dealt with. It's just a matter of what relationship we have with God, what sort of relationship we have with God and with other people in the meantime. But God is going to deal with these things in us that are not like Jesus. Remember, the whole purpose of being a follower of Jesus is to become like him in his, his character and his essence and who he is. And we know that that fullness of that will happen when we see him face to face. But in the meantime, please let us, each one of us, have our hearts examined by God and say, where am I not like you Where am I not like you and where do I need to change? I would contend with you this morning that none of us are perfect. Not close to being perfect. 
And so if you, know, if, if you would have to think a long time in the, back in the past where you were on your face before God, you know, having some, a serious soul excursion with him of, Lord, examine my life, examine my heart, expose in me the darkness that is, not, that is there. Like the psalmist says, you know, show me any unclean thing within me. I mean, especially, I mean, even before that, taking the things that we know because we know much of it, you know, there's some things that we're even self-deceived, you know, we're, we don't understand even about ourselves, and we need the Holy Spirit to expose those things. We, that's where we need to go and say, show me. But if, if you can go way back since the last time that's happened, or way back since the last time you took another person and said, here, let me bear my soul to you, as the scripture says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. If it's been a long time since that's happened, then I would contend that we're not presently living in spiritual reality, but that we have been affected by the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees. That we've been affected by that. And we're more concerned about how this looks on the outside than the inner reality of our heart before Jesus. So that puts the the question to us, are we playing games or do we want real transformation in our lives? So now Jesus is going to move from that. In verse 4, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, it seems like Jesus is saying some contradictory things. Something contradictory here, like what do you what do you mean that I should fear God, and and then what do you mean that I should fear not? Because again, we have this in the context of the relationship of you know the Pharisees, the people, and Jesus to the you know Pharisees and religious leaders, who who were more concerned again about the outward appearances. They were more concerned about would good things be said by men at their funeral than whether. You know, God really approved of them or not. But they were so prideful, they, you know, they just assumed that, of course, God would approve of them. Because the other religious, if the other religious leaders approved of them, then, of course, God would as well. But Jesus is saying, you know, if you're, if you're going to have fear, don't just fear those who can, you know, or do, don't fear those who can kill your body. And he's going to talk here as we continue in this section this morning, this passage this morning, on being, having worry and being anxious and the things that we worry about. And so, you know, he hits kind of this first major one, which is, you know, our lives. It's something you could, you could worry or, or be anxious about, and, and particularly in certain contexts. You know, at this time, you know, his audience being Jewish people in a Roman-occupied land, they don't have all the same rights that Roman citizens have. You know, somebody could take their life and, you know, potentially get away with it. Um, so they have a little more to fear on, on, on that level. You think today even of, you know, just being any person 
in, in Syria or Iraq or you know, place of active war, you could be you know, concerned about your life, more or less being a follower of Jesus in some of those places, you know, North Korea, um, you know, much of the Middle East, you know, at this point, it, you know, you could, you could be concerned and have fear about what men could do to you or, or to your family. But Jesus says, do not fear that. And, 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 you know, we have to admit that that sounds a little bit irrational to us, you know, at the beginning. Because what do you mean I'm not going to fear people who are, you know, have guns and are looking to take us out? What do you mean I'm not supposed to fear that? But Jesus says, if you're, you know, if you're going to have fear, it should be in the right place because God has the authority not just to end your life this moment, but he also has the authority to cast you into hell. He has that authority. He has that power. He has that right. He's God. And so he says, yes, I tell you, fear him. So what we end up with is in this healthy fear of God, the fear of men is taken away. You're no longer living your life concerned about what other people think of you and what other people can do to you, but you're thinking about your relationship with God. Because then he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and yet not God is not forgetful of them? Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So he's saying God views you as valuable. God cares about you as valuable. So you can trust him. You know, you are in his, in his hands. Do you trust him with your life? That's, you know, kind of an ultimate question. Do I trust God with my life? Or am I going to not trust God and hold on to anxiety and hold on to fear and, and live a life that is, you know, just worrisome? Where I'm constantly thinking about my own good and my own, you know, protection. There's something in here, though, that I, I don't want us, in our conversation about the fear, that I don't want us to miss, and that is Jesus speaking about hell and the authority that God has you know, to cast people in, into hell because that's something that you know, has become pretty unpopular to, to preach about. You know, there's a, a, even a huge movement today to, you know, to do away with the concept of, of hell, to, to do away with the teaching of it, you know, altogether, that it doesn't even exist. And it's all given in the uh, package of love and God is love and, you know, hell and love are not compatible in these sorts of things. But again, if you look, I would challenge you, if you, consider, if you are considering that idea to read again everything that Jesus says about eternity and eternal life and eternal death and heaven and hell. See what Jesus has to say about it. Because I would contend with you this morning that if you eliminate hell, you're not really talking about what Jesus talked about anymore. That, what he, that you are taking a, a position contrary 
to Jesus' position on the subject and that you have actually altered the character of Jesus and who he was and, and, and who he is in his reality. You've made him someone that he actually is not. You have redefined Jesus for your own purposes. People do this all the time with Jesus. But we need to take Jesus as, as he is and the fullness of who he is. I would also ask you this morning that you know, as Jesus taught about the reality of hell, if we take Jesus at his word, then we actually do have to talk about it at times. Because, you know, we, we think about this even in human terms. If, if there's a bridge and it's out and you are there and, on, you know, there's oncoming traffic, is it loving to act as if the bridge is not out? Is it loving just to, you know, not give any sort of warning, but to say, you know, I don't want to interfere with people going their own way and having their own ideas about driving and their own direction so I'm not going to say anything about that because people may be offended when I tell them the bridge is out. Well, you look at that very simple example and you go, well, that's lunacy. Of course, you would stand there you know, in the road shouting and waving and trying to get every car to stop. And if there's some, you, know, you would plead with them to stop. And if some ignored you and sped around and went on anyway, you would at least have a clear conscience that you did everything you could. But in today's day and age, we've become so concerned about people's feelings that we won't even tell them the bridge is out and that there is imminent danger in their path. And yet, at the same time, we're going to feel good about ourselves that, oh, we love them so much. Really? We're not going to warn people about danger, of eternal imminent danger. And yet we're going to claim how much we love them because we were their friends and didn't want to offend them. Lord, forgive me, forgive us for our lack of boldness and for ultimately our lack of love. But God cares about us. So if you are his, if you, if you belong to God because of your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are in his hands. He tells you to fear not. See, I don't have the fear. You know, I have a healthy, obviously a healthy respect of God. But because Jesus has paid my debt and I'm in Christ and I'm covered by his blood, I no longer have to fear death. I no longer have to fear the consequences of sin and death. But I can fear not because I am valued in God's sight. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. In verse 8, he says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. 
And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say, what you should say. So again, we have this, you know, if you're a follower, if you want to be a follower of God, there needs to be a a willingness to publicly acknowledge him, even if there's cost associated with that. And And in different contexts, in different times and spaces, the price is higher or lower. The price for these people, you know, not being viewed at as a true Jew anymore, if you follow Jesus. Or if you're a Gentile, and then what have you done with all of our gods? You've thrown them all the way and taken this one Jesus. There's a, a breaking many times from one's culture, from one's, uh, even one's own family in many contexts, in many places, has to happen in order for a person to really follow, follow Jesus, and that cost is high. And there can be the loss of property and the loss of employment and the loss of life itself for following Jesus, and that cost is high. And I would contend this morning for us that our cost is low because some academic might view you as ignorant. Or because you might get made fun of. Or you might not be viewed as one of the people that is cool and has it all together. That's your cost. And it is a cost, but it's not that high. It really isn't. Not compared to the suffering of our brothers in Christ throughout the centuries, and even in this day and time in countries all over our world, our cost is small. And if you are not willing to pay the price of your academic reputation or of you know, your, your cool factor or whatever it is, how can you say, that you would stand in the face of persecution and opposition, that you would, yes, surrender all for Jesus. Because that's really what it comes you know, down to. Really what it comes down to, because we're, we're tested in different ways in different times. Last week, Michael gave the kind of the challenge, you know, of people who stood against oppression back in the, you know, the 60s and stood with, with you know, Martin Luther King Jr. And, and others for civil rights, and that was a needed you know, stand. And the question, would I have stood? Well, I think we can answer that question today. If you, would, if you are currently standing with the oppressed, when it costs you something or when it's uncomfortable to do so or when other people make fun of, then, yeah, you probably would have done it then too. Maybe you have the advantage now of a little better understanding. But if we're not willing to do those things now, how can we say we would have done those things then? Actually, the answer then becomes probably not. If I'm not willing to stand with the immigrant now, if I'm not willing to stand with the oppressed now, how can I say I would have back in such and such a time? Because what we have to understand is that for each person in each time or place, there is a, a testing and there is a way to know how you stand and where you stand and how strong your stand actually is. There is a way to know that. 
Because there is something that you will be asked to pay. There will be a price, even if it's small. But if we're unwilling to pay, pay the small prices, we certainly won't be willing to pay the big prices. We need to be willing to be bold to acknowledge before God. Even this last week, I was had a conversation, and I, I got back in my vehicle, and I go, why didn't I just tell that person more about Jesus? What was I afraid of? Why did I, why did I shrink back from that opportunity and only tell like the good social side of what we do as opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why? And so that's where I had to take a little heart check there, my own self, and go, brother, you've got to be more bold. Because it matters. Now here's a question that comes up regular basis is, you know, what is this blaspheming of the Holy Spirit? It's not going to be forgiven, but you can speak against Jesus, you know, the Son of Man that will be forgiven. Like, what is going you know, on here, um, we need to understand there is a particular context. Jesus Christ physically, you know, on the earth, God in the flesh, and he is performing, you know, miracles and his teaching. And people are ascribing, you know, even the religious scribes and Pharisees, though convicted that he could be the Messiah, are attributing his works that are done through the power of the Holy Spirit as being done through the power of the devil. And so that contrast is um, pretty stark. Because it's interesting, even we see in the Gospels that Jesus' own brothers, you know, they were half-brothers, but there was, you know, also came from Mary, that they denied him in, in the Gospels. And then in the book of Acts, you see them there, praying and with faith and followers of Jesus. So they are ones who, you know, denied, you know, Jesus initially and then came to understand who he was, but they hadn't attributed what he was doing to, you know, the power of the devil, like the Pharisees and scribes um, were doing. So we have that. And then he says, you know, to his followers, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rules and authorities, don't be anxious about how you defend yourself or what you say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should say. So the Holy Spirit then is going to, to help them, and the Holy Spirit is available to help us in our time of need and when we need strength and when we need to know what to say. That doesn't eliminate our responsibility to be people who know God and who know the word and say, well, whenever I need to know something, you know, I'll be okay. Kind of like a person who doesn't prepare for a test and then prays, you know, hard beforehand and says, Lord, I know I haven't studied, but please help me. You know, it, it really, it needs to come in, in this instance with this testing. It's going to come from our, our character of who we are in, in God and being empowered by the Holy Spirit to say what needs to be said in that moment. But it's not a life of unpreparedness that Jesus is asking us to have, but rather a dependence on God and not on ourselves, our own wisdom, our own intellect. 
but to have a dependence on God when we are pressed. And he moves on, verse 13, and we'll run through this a little bit more quickly. But he says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, my brother, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, that night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they will be, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's a really interesting thing that happens here because people, you know, often one times wanted Jesus to tell other people that they were right and that other person was wrong. We see it with Mary and Martha. You know, Mary is there at Jesus' feet learning and Martha's busy doing all the work and Martha comes and complains to Jesus, Jesus, you know, tell my sister to help me, you know, with the work. And, she's, and he says, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about many things. But Mary has chosen that one good part, and it will not be taken from her. Okay, so he, he, sw- he flips it. Because it's like, Jesus, you're supposed to see my, the injustice that is happening to me, and you're supposed to take my side. And then Jesus digs deeper into that person's life and says, but here's the real issue. And so here, this man is saying, Jesus, I want justice. I want what's fair for me. And Jesus digs deeper and says, but actually there's something not right here. There's something in you that needs to change and to change radically. It's really interesting as you read the Gospels. Jesus does not let the poor and oppressed off the hook, scot-free, as if they've done nothing wrong and have no sin issues to deal with. And if they're only freed from their oppression, they will be, you know, wonderful people, just automatically. Jesus understands that many times, if given the power and given the opportunity, the oppressed will become the oppressor. If there's not a heart change, if there's not the gospel, the transforming power of the gospel in the person's life. And so he comes at this person who says, Lord, tell my brother to give me what's my fair share. And he says, I'm not going to give you judgment on that. So that's, at this point in time, that's not his, his role, his place, his desire. But he says, beware of all covetousness. Because he understands that the man's heart is not the desire for what is fair, but that there is a problem of greed. And Jesus always goes deeper. And I would challenge us when we feel offended, when we feel like we have been done wrong. And I know I've felt that way a number of times in my life to ask Jesus to dig deeper and say, show me what's, what doesn't please you in here. 
Because it's so easy just to look at the other person and to cast all the blame and responsibility on that one, but to look within one's own heart and say, Lord, is there anything in here that needs to change? This doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have a sense of justice. Of course he does. And of course he's going to set everything right, you know, in the end. The scriptures are, are very clear, you know, on that. But he's, he's concerned more, he's, he's not just concerned about those, those things, but he's most concerned about the heart of the oppressed as he is about the heart of the oppressor. And Jesus has the power. The person is willing. Jesus has the power to change both. He has, a cha- he has the power to change the heart of the oppressed. And he has the power to change the heart of the oppressor. But we have to acknowledge and understand both actually need to be changed. And that is, that is why social efforts without the gospel lag transforming power and change because yes we need to do the work and, and, if, and you know me you know my heart for that we, we do the medical clinics that we have justice you know where we work in the mountains in Mexico there's, there's lots of injustice and there's lots of, of things that are, that are unequal and, and we want to make a more level playing field and we want to provide for what is lacking you know and so I mean that's one of the key reasons that the church has established a medical, you know, there is a medical clinic. And, and doctors who could be, you know, making good livings, doing other things, are, 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 you know, sacrificing that to work in those places and to help those people. But if that's all we do, and we don't share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, then we've missed what Jesus is so much about because he's about the heart change of the individual. Yes, he wants to relieve suffering. We see him do it many times. But he always does more than that. Think about the paralyzed man on the mat. You know, and, and what did Jesus do before he healed his physical body? He forgave his sins. And in that, there's an order of priority that Jesus has. Verse 22, he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what will you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than all the birds? Of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, 
and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's powerful. You know, and, and Jesus didn't just give this message once. If you remember back to the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Matthew 5 through 7, a lot of this you find in chapter 6. And so, you know, when Jesus says anything, we need to pay attention, right? You know, when Jesus says it, we need to listen. But when he says it more than once, we we might even want to give a little extra attention to things that Jesus says more than once. And this is something he said more than once. He tells his people not to be anxious. Because at first we started off, I'm anxious about my life. And now I'm anxious about the things you know, the things in my life and, you know, to making sure that I have a good life. Concerned about those things. And Jesus tells us that his economy, God's economy, is different than our economy. And he wants us to think about things differently. He wants us to have a different priority. He wants our priority to be the kingdom of God. He tells us not to be anxious about our lives or about the stuff in our lives, you know, what we're going to eat, what we're going to put on our bodies for clothing and these things. You know, and he uses these examples, you know, considering the ravens or considering the lilies. And if you see a lily, it truly is beautiful. Solomon, with all of his wealth, could not, you know, put on clothes nice enough to make him more beautiful or more handsome than a lily. God's creation, man, when you look at God's creation, it's mind-blowing. And you see that he does all these things and that he loves us. If this is what he does for the grass of the field, which is, you know, to, is there today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, you know, how much more will he clothe you? Or, you know, he, he really puts it to us and he puts it to me when he says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Like, how do I... Like, how do I handle that? Oh, you of little faith. How do I handle that? Because sometimes I have to admit my faith is small. My faith in, in God's provision can be small. How is our faith? I think that's really what Jesus is getting at here because the big picture question of all of this is that do we trust God? Do we trust God and do we believe he is faithful or do we not trust God and then therefore we have to take a lot of steps to make sure that we're okay because we can't trust God because God might let us down. Man, what to do with that? What to do with that? Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I think that this really is the crux of it because like, do we trust God is a huge question, but another huge question in, in it is what's my priority? Is my priority really God's kingdom or is my priority my kingdom? You know, that's something we we really have to wrestle with. And we have to wrestle with it at multiple points in time 
in life. Because, you know, when I was a, a single person, I didn't have a wife and children and didn't have those cares, I felt like I could very confidently tell you, yeah, kingdom is, that's my focus. Kingdom is, is, is there. But now with those other responsibilities, I must confess it is much more difficult, much more difficult to say, yes, it's all about that. And I just trust God with this. It's harder. It's harder. Not that it isn't difficult on the other side, but it becomes more difficult. And so what do we do with it? And, and we also have to understand that God's priority for us is different because, again, his desire is to give us the kingdom. If our desire is stuff, well, we have two different desires. If that's where our heart is, if we want stuff and God wants to give us the kingdom, you know, we're not receiving the kingdom because we want the stuff. Because that's where our focus is. So our focus on that blinds us and keeps us from even asking for the kingdom. Because notice even when Jesus said, um, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's not the prosperity gospel that's being preached today. The prosperity gospel that's being preached today by Joel Olstein and many others is that you know, you give because when you give to God, God's going to give you physical blessings so much more. And that's your motivation. What we're saying is we give to God because we want the kingdom and we want the Holy Spirit and we want to we be part of what God's doing. It's a completely different motivation in our heart. You know, we're not sitting there, you know, writing our check or putting our money down and saying, I'm putting this in because I know if I do, or I believe if I do, I'm going to get a multiple back here and now in this life. No, we say we're putting this money in because we believe it's an investment in the kingdom of God and we're putting it into, we're putting what is temporary and corruptible in a place that is eternal and incorruptible. That we're doing even more than giving, we're making an investment. We're making an internal investment. Like, that's what we're doing with it. We're, you know, and it's kind of crazy that you can take temporal, corruptible things here in this life and turn them. You have the power to turn them into eternal and incorruptible things. That's awesome. Like, what God is offering us is so much better. And yet, many times we'll be content just to put a little bit more money in our savings account. Like, that'll be the goal and the focus. Because what we're really talking about here ultimately is heart issues because, you know, I just, I just want to be careful here because I don't want to make it say something that doesn't, but I also don't want to let us off the hook easy. I don't want to let us off the hook easy. Because you take Acts chapter 2 where the believers shared, you know, shared everything in common. You know, and they sold their possessions and they gave to the work of the Lord. And you say, you look at that and people say, well, that was descriptive, not prescriptive. It described what happened, not what we're told to do. I 100% agree with that. It was voluntary. It wasn't communism where it was forced. It was a, it was a voluntary giving. 
and people could give as they wanted to and as they had need to. Now, when somebody lied, don't forget, a couple, you know, there was a couple who lied about how much they gave, and God just struck them dead. You know, need to remember that. There is still a place to fear the power and might of God. But, so we, we, can, we can easily say, well, that was for then in the early church and extreme time and those things. Okay, so we don't have to deal with that now. Okay, but what do you do with this? When Jesus tells you to sell your possessions and give to the poor. Like, what do you do with it? And this morning, I actually don't want to give you an answer. But I want us to go home and wrestle with it. Before God. I want us to wrestle with it. With him. Because I do believe that it's going to look different in different people's lives. Some, some people, you know, Jesus actually told the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and come follow me. And that was very literal. And the man was wealthy. And he wouldn't, wasn't willing to do it. At least not at that time. And so does the Lord ask you to do that? If he does, what are you going to do? But you also see, you know, in the New Testament, Lydia. There's a church that meets at her house. She's a seller of purple. She has resources. She has wealth. She's very generous with it. But apparently the Lord was pleased with that and did not instruct her to go and sell her home and everything that she had. So the question isn't what are other people doing and then I just follow that example. The question is what are the principles of God? And do I have God's heart about these things, and am I seeking his will for myself and for my family and what God is asking us, me to do? Because what's so easy to do in this situation is just to judge what other people do with their money and not deal with the reality of what you do with your own. But guess what? You and I are not responsible for anybody else's bank account. But I am responsible for mine, and you are responsible for yours before God. But we have to teach the principles, and we have to push us into a, into a place where we have to deal with, with reality, that we can't just pretend that, hey, I'm doing everything exactly how God wants, and I'm good. 1 Timothy 6, Paul tells us this. He says in verse 6, this is powerful. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. Love, love that verse. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we had food and clothing with these, we would be content. But those who desire, notice the word desire, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Just real quick, notice the love of money is not the root of all evil, as is commonly quoted. It is a root of all kinds of evil. It's one of many, but it is one you have to recognize and deal with. And then later on in verse 17, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proudful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. 
those are good instructions for us because if you're in this room, then most likely you would be in the category of rich, even though you might not feel it like it right now, and even though you might have like student loans and even be a you know currently be a college student and these sorts of things. But when you look at the grand scheme of the world compared to the bottom two billion, I think pretty much everyone in here is wealthy. And so we need to read those verses not as if they apply to someone else. But I need to read the, we need to read those verses as if they apply to ourselves. Assume that they apply to you until proven otherwise, right? Assume that those are for you, not, yeah. oh, well, he's talking about you know, people like Bill Gates. No, don't let yourself off the hook like that. Assume it's addressed to you and deal with it and ask, you know, where is my heart? Where is my desire? What do I really want to invest in? But this is where I want to finish on. In verse 32, Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And that's where I want us to understand about our concept of God the Father. And, you know, I know earthly fathers oftentimes have done terrible and awful things. You know, my own wife has a little bit of a hard time with the concept of God, you know, Heavenly Father, because of the way her father lived his life and the things that he did. So it can be a little hard, but I need you to understand that when the Scripture refers to our Heavenly Father, it's all good. It's all positive. He is the best. He's, be, he's better than can be imagined. And it says that it's His good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Like, God desires good for us. And He desires to experience it. And really what that good is more than anything else, it's... it's it's not our quote-unquote best life now, it's, but it's your spiritual best life now. It's your spiritual best life now. But in that, sometimes do come material blessings. And what we're instructed to do with those is to be generous and to share. We want to be a generous people. Have you ever been at a party when there was obviously not quite enough food? And so people are kind of jockeying to get to the front of the line because they know they're not going to be able to go through twice. So they make sure to put a little extra on their plates. And then those at the end of the line are kind of picking through leftovers. It's kind of a terrible deal, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's not a fun party. Who wants to be at that? What we should be wanting is for, you know, to be people who are sharing. And what else can I bring to the party so that it's a good party? Like to be generous and to be to be liberal in our generosity and to be sharing, you know, with others, and that we're inviting more people to the party, because we have such a good heavenly Father, that we know if we're running short of food, we can just ask for more and He'll provide it. That's the part that I think we need to get and to understand is that that we have a place where we can ask. Certainly for the spiritual, but then even also for the physical, because Lord, we're having a bigger party for your glory and for your honor. And so we need a little bit more resources in order so we can keep on inviting more people. Someone I had the privilege to encourage the uh, church in Mexico, you know, to do is they're going through a, you know, a tremendous time of transition um, in the church there with the uh, loss of our friend Jose Barrios, Brother Pepe. Um, <laughs> 
And I was like, don't worry. We have a good Heavenly Father. You can trust him. We can just ask him to provide more. Provide more people to do the work. Provide more resources. Like, God's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of us. Like, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about the future, but be faithful. That's our responsibility, and all of it is to be faithful. But one thing Brother Pepe taught me about mission that I will always remember, he would always tell every group that came, he would say, he would say be flexible, be adaptable, and be consumable. And send that to Heather when she first went down. She was like, reply back, wait, they're going to eat me? (laughs) No, but be flexible to to the situations, to what God asks you to do. Be flexible in your life to changes that he may want to make. Be adaptable in your life to the circumstances that come about. Don't be so rigid because God may have a different plan for that day than you do and maybe have some different people for you to minister than you thought and to be consumable for God's glory and honor. But do we view ourselves as consumables while we're here on this earth? Or do we view ourselves as those who consume? Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would Work in our hearts. Help us to not desire to be let off the hook easy, but to desire for you to examine us further and to continue to work and to change our hearts and our minds to make us more like your son. Father, we trust your word as it tells us that you are good and that it is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Lord, help us to believe that today. Help us to understand that your kingdom is an eternal, transcendent kingdom that goes beyond all the barriers that we have established and set up, that humans before us have established and set up. But it is so much better, so much bigger. It's full of love and grace and truth. And Lord, help us to desire your kingdom and to trust you with the temporal things. Help us not to be anxious. Help us not to worry, Lord, we pray. Examine our hearts, examine my heart, and search, Lord. And where I don't trust you, expose it. so that I can trust you more. Lord, help us in our weakness. Jesus, we know the word says that you are a great high priest and that you can sympathize with us because you were tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And so we are to come boldly to the throne of grace in your name, dear Jesus, and we come in your name. And we can come in your name because you're the one who went to the cross for us. You're the one who died and you're the one who rose again. And as we take that bread and we take that cup this morning, we acknowledge the reality of your death and your resurrection and that the grave could not hold you and that our victory is in you, dear Jesus. And not only that, but we are defined, Jesus, by our relationship with you. And may that be our ultimate definition.
May we stop being so concerned about what others think of us and yet be so much more concerned about what you think, dear Jesus, and that we would be more like, like you, but we can't do that on our own, so please change us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Please take down strongholds and barriers that are in our lives, things that have a grip on people, even in this room this morning, Lord, even in people who are not with us this morning, where the enemy has set a trap and that trap has sprung and a person is in its grips, Lord. Free them, we pray this morning. Free us. Do not allow us to live back under bondage of sin or back under bondage of what all the nations are so concerned about in their daily needs. But Jesus, as you said, that we wouldn't be like them, but that we would be different than that. So free us, dear Jesus, we pray for all the times we just become like the world. Help us to love what you love and help us to hate what you hate. Help our understandings to be righteous. Help us to be true to the calling that you've given us, that we would walk in your ways and that we would not be content with giving you 20% of our lives or 5% of our lives or whatever it is, Lord Jesus, but that you would have everything of us and that we would not hold back in worship of you. Can we grow tired, Lord, of just singing songs without our hearts and without our minds? Lord Jesus, please work at us by the power of your Holy Spirit because unless we are transformed, we cannot transform. Until the barriers are broken down in our own lives, we cannot break down other barriers. Until we are free, it is so hard for us to convince others that freedom in you is good. Free us, we pray, dear Jesus. For those who were brought up in in religiosity of rules and regulations that are contrary to your word, where everything was about appearance, and who have been sucked in by that and are not free, Lord, free them this morning. For those who have gone into sin in rebellion against you, free them this morning, Lord. Free us, we pray. In your name, dear Jesus, do it. Amen.